Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. You guys, this morning, hope you're having a great day. We're glad you're here. Kids, you guys can be dismissed out to our children's ministry. Thank you guys for worshiping with us this morning, being a part of that. And you guys get to go and continue to worship. Worship doesn't stop when you guys go to children's ministry. And uh, one thing that I have been kind of thinking through and struck by this weekend, um, I had a chance to be at a father-son retreat this weekend, and as one of the guys was talking, he, he kept talking about worship like it was just the music element of the service. And I was going, no, man, worship is every part of what we bring to God. When we pray, it's worship. And when we hear the Word of God spoken, it's worship. When we read God's Word together, it's worship. When we sing, it's worship. Uh, all of these things, our fellowship is an act of worship to God. Our giving is an act of worship to God. And so everything is encompassed in that, and, uh, and I'm so thankful that we get the chance to continue worshiping together this morning. If you have your Bibles, we love to celebrate the truth of the Word of God. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3 and uh, celebrate God's truth with me. Yeah, it's a rainy day. You guys are still sleeping a little bit, aren't you? It's all right. We'll, we'll go okay with that one. Proverbs chapter 3. But before we get there, uh, hey, I don't tell a lot of jokes in worship services, but uh, I had one that I thought was kind of appropriate for this morning. Uh, we're doing a series on stewardship and going to be talking about tithing today. And so um, I honestly grabbed a book out of Andy Malcolm's office. There was just a random book in there that was called Church Jokes. And so I grabbed it and turned and just opened to a page. And wouldn't you know that the page I opened to had a joke on there about tithing and giving. And so here's kind of what it said. Uh, there was a $20 bill and a $1 bill who had had a long life in in their currency being used in the world, and uh, it needed to be retired. The money was just worn out, used. And so it had been sent back to the Federal Reserve Bank, and uh, these two bills are on a conveyor belt heading toward a fiery end where they're going to be destroyed permanently. And as they're going down the conveyor belt, the $20 bill starts talking to the $1 bill which is a joke, right? And so you're going, all right, the $20 bill says, hey, you know what? I've had a great life. Uh, I've been all over the world. I've got to experience things and see things. I've been to Atlantic City. I've been to Las Vegas. I've been on cruise ships to the Caribbean. Uh, I, I've just been all of Monte Carlo. I've gotten to experience and see great things all over the world. And the $20 bill says to the $1 bill, man, what, what have you done? What's your life been like? And the, the $1 bill goes, man, you know what? I guess I've had a pretty good life too. I've, I've gotten to go different places. He goes, oh yeah, really? Where have you gotten to go? And he says, I, I've gotten to go to Baptist churches and I've gotten to go to Methodist churches and I've gotten to go to Presbyterian churches. And, and the $20 bill stops him and goes, what's a church? Right? And so um, <clears throat> there you go. And that's why I don't tell a whole lot of jokes in church services. But uh, anyway, um, we're in this series on stewardship. And, and last week we talked about the idea that God is the owner over everything. He owns it all. It's all his. It's all in his hands. And he has control over everything. And we're stewards of the things that God blesses us with. And so when God sees fit to bless us with things, we have a responsibility as stewards to take care of these things and to steward them well and to do things within the scope of what God asks us to do as his stewards. We are not in control of these things, whether it's our time or our relationships or our finances or our faith or whatever it is that God blesses us with. When God sees fit to trust us with something as a gift, we are to be stewards of those things. And we can either steward them well 
And there's a blessing and a promise of hope for those people who steward God's gifts well. And he says, I want to bless you in return for those things. But the opposite side of that is if we don't steward the things of God well, there's consequences for that. And scripture is full of times where we see the consequences of people who don't steward God's blessings well. And so we need to learn as God's people and as disciples of Jesus how to live as his disciples, honoring him, obeying him, listening to him about everything that happens in our life. And finances is just one of those things. But for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk today about what it means to trust God, to honor God in our giving, to be generous with a baseline of tithing. And we're talking about the biblical principles and standards of tithing. And then next week, we're going to come back around and talk about the biblical standard of being overly generous and just being incredible blessings to the world from what God has given to us. And so that's where we're going to start. But here's where I want us to look this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 say this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. All right, now let's just pray for a minute before we jump into this more deeply. Heavenly Father, God, I'm grateful this morning for a chance to hear from you, to hear from your word, to talk about the things that you want us to hear and know. And I pray, Jesus, that you will just guide us in your truth. I pray, Father, that you'll have something for us to receive today, that there'll be something that we can hold on to that will guide us more fully into our future as disciples of Jesus, knowing what it means to be stewards of what you've blessed us with. So give us ears to hear from you this morning and eyes to see your truth in your word. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the most important thing that I want you to hear this morning as we start talking about stewardship. And hopefully, as we talk about tithing, this will set all of our hearts and minds at ease just a little bit. So the thing that I want you to hear most is this. God doesn't need you to give him money. He doesn't. God doesn't need you to give him money. God owns everything. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. They're all his. The hills are his as well. The grass that grows on those hills, his. The dirt that produces the grass that grows on the hills, this is like the knot on the log and all that kind of stuff, right? It's all God's. It's all God's. And he doesn't need us to give him money. We don't give to God as if he needed anything. So because God owns everything, whether you tithe or not, whether you ever give a dollar to the church or not, God is going to accomplish his work and his ministry in this world. So when you hear that kind of statement and go, okay, well, then why do we need to spend a Sunday talking about stewardship and giving and tithing if that's the case? If God doesn't need our money, if he can just do whatever he wants to, why do we need to talk about the principle or the standard of tithing? And here's the answer. Because God knows what an idol money can become in the heart and the life of a person. And because money can so easily become an idol in our lives that can become a God and replace him as God, he wants us to know best how to steward that resource that he gives to us so that we stay in right relationship with him. And so when we talk about stewarding money and answering to God in these things, we need to understand that the best way to eradicate the idol of money is by learning to give it away. And when we start to think about how God has intended these things to be, that we go, okay, when when I come into the presence of God and he asks me to do something with the money that he has blessed me with, it's not even my money, it's his. I'm a steward of his money, so whatever God asks me to do with it, I'm going to turn around in obedience and respond to him and likewise and say, I'll give this back where you want it to go. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 
Jesus is talking. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. You can't serve both God and money. There's a dividing line there. And Jesus goes, if you want to understand how to live in my kingdom, you've got to put me ahead of everything else. And when we make money an idol, we can easily be trapped and let it become a God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can easily be much more concerned about how much money I have sometimes than about what God asks me to do with that money. There's so many times that I just get like this about going, oh, I, just go, yeah, I can't give that away or I can't do something with that. I've, I've, got, I've got a car payment coming up or I've got a house payment we've got to make or kids are going to need new shoes and all these kinds of things. And so I'm just going to hold on tight. And when I do that, it's saying to God, I don't trust you to take care of me because I'm taking care of me. Actually, money is taking care of me. And I'm going to put myself under the authority of money, not under the authority of Jesus as Savior. And so when we think about this, Jesus is telling us that we can't serve both. Mark Driscoll said this about this passage in Matthew. He said, Jesus stressed, we either worship our wealth or we worship with our wealth. Wow, that's a pretty big statement. We're either going to worship our wealth or we're going to worship with our wealth. Which one of those two things describes you more obviously? Which one of those two things makes sense to you? So these reasons are why we need to look at what God says about money and tithing. But the first thing we need to recognize this morning, and if you're taking notes, uh, if you want to follow along on our app and write some things in, type in some notes, uh, I would encourage you to go there. I did notice this morning when I went into the app originally, it brought up last week's stuff. If you cancel the app out, open it back up again, it will bring up this week's stuff. It'll refresh. Its brain will clear. Everything will be fine. It's got a foggy thing this morning going on with it too. Uh, but go in there, take some notes. But here's the first thing that we want to see and recognize this morning is that for all who believe in God and follow Jesus, there's a biblical precedence to give, right? Before we ever start talking about tithing, there's just a biblical precedence to give. Even before tithing was implemented in the Old Testament law, people generously just gave to God. You see this in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis with some of the first people with Cain and Abel. There's no law in place. There's no anything that's compelling them to give, but both of them bring an offering to God, a sacrifice to God. The Bible says that one brother brings the best of the fruit that he had gained in the land, and the other brother brings some of the fat portions of the, uh, the sheep that he had raised. And they both present this offering to God. And yet when you see how God responds, one is accepted and the other is dismissed. And you kind of look at that story and go, why? God never even explains it until you get to the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it tells us that Abel offered his gift to God in faith, and he was found righteous by his faith in God, while Cain made an offering out of a heart of obligation. And that Cain brought his stuff out of duty and moral responsibility. And saying, I'm trying to please God through this. And God's going, it's not about what you bring to me. It's about the heart in which you bring it to me. And so one gift is accepted, the other is not. But there's this biblical precedence for giving that goes beyond the law. Even when you get to Abram, 
Uh, Abram had a nephew named Lot who was captured one time by some raiding kings in his land. And Abram took his men and went after Lot who had been captured. And, and he, uh, he overcame these other kingdoms with his guys and he brought Lot back. And when he comes back, he meets up with a guy in this place called Salem, which we believe would eventually become Jerusalem. Salem, Jerusalem. Uh, and this guy's name is Melchizedek. And the Bible just says that he's a priest of God. Uh, and when Abraham comes into connection with Melchizedek, after he comes back from plundering these other kings and returning with all of his stuff and his, his nephew's possessions, he gives Melchizedek a tenth of what belongs to him as a way of saying, God has been gracious to me. God has been good to me. I see you as a servant of God. And because you represent God in this region, I'm going to give you some of the spoil from this as a way of saying thanks to God. There's no command, there's no obligation, but he just does it out of the generosity of his heart. He says, God is good, he gave me this, I'm going to return to him what I believe belongs to him. And here's, here's a tithe of that. Uh, now, it's interesting to note that we don't see Abram do that again. right? And so in the Old Testament, before this time, there's no period of, of responsibility to do this under a law. He's just giving out of his heart. There's this precedence for it. So by the time we get to Moses, the tithe was established for the nation of Israel in law. Right? And so when we talk about tithe, if you're not familiar with that, if you're kind of new to church or never have really thought about it that much, tithe just means this, and it's the next blank on your outline. It's just a tenth, a 10% or a tenth part of one's first fruits. It's a tenth part or 10% of our first fruits. And so when Moses comes along, he introduces the law. God gives Moses the law. He teaches it to his people. And under the law, there were basically three tithes. By the time you see in Numbers chapter 18, it describes an annual tithe to take care of the Levites. The Levites were the worship leaders in Israel. And when Israel came into the promised land that God had given to them, all of the other tribes were, were given land and said, you go and take this land and you take care of it and you take this land. But for the Levites, no inheritance was given in the land. And so God used the people once a year to bring a tenth percent of their goods, of their crops, of their things to present to the Levites as a way to take care of them. They took care of the orderly worship of God and presenting God to the people, and then the people took care of them. And so that's the first thing that we see. It's the priests who get a, a generous portion of the people's giving. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it describes the tithe of the first fruits for a feast and also a tithe for the poor. One was an annual tithe. One was collected every three years. So you basically have two tithes that are annual. Bring 10% of your crops, 10% of your goods, 10% of your things, and present them. Some of it will take care of the priests and the Levites. Some of it will take care of the poor and the needy in your community. But then this other one is a feast uh, or a tithe of the first fruits for a feast. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 29. I think this will be on the screen so you can follow along with me. He says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields' produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain your new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by God the Lord and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord your God chose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose." Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in their towns. 
for they have no allotment or inheritance of their land. At the very end of the three years, bring all of the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, if you didn't catch it, the tithe in Israel, when we talk about 10%, we think about that as a weekly giving or an every other week or maybe an annual giving. But for them, it wasn't just one tithe. It was actually three. Two that were annual, one that happened every three years. So the tithe for Israel was more like 23.33% of their income divided among those three years, of their goods divided among those three years. And here's what I love about this is that when we see this, even more importantly than what they give is what happens to the tithes that the people bring. Was it intended to make someone else wealthier or to bless God in some way? No. Did you notice what happened when he said, hey, bring your tithes here. And when you bring them to this place of giving, I want you to have a feast. Use them. Use what you bring to God and have a feast. Eat them. Eat the produce. Eat the sheep. Have a meal. Have a celebration. This is meant for us to receive as we give. And so God says, I want you to enjoy this. And then we get to the end and we see God told the people to take what they brought, enjoy it in his presence, have a feast. But notice why in verse 23, why he says that. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. See, God provides the land. God provides the produce, God provides the sun, God provides the rain, God provides all of this. And then he says at the end, at the, at the time that it's ready for harvest, bring your first fruits, bring 10% of your first fruits to me and then have a celebration over it so that you'll remember to revere me, so that you'll honor me, so that you'll remember where this comes from. This is not your doing this is not because you have a great employer who pays you every week. This is because God has been faithful, that God has been good. He has provided for your needs. So bring the top percent to him and trust him with it and then let him bless you in return so that you learn to revere him. Then he commanded his people also to take care of the Levites as the religious leaders and finally to use their tithes and put their tithes to work to take care of the refugees and the fatherless and the widows. He says, you use that money that you bring into me to, to bless other people. Take care of the needs around you. Make sure that people are taken care of, that they see the love of God who wants to provide for them. And so these are the reasons why this idea of tithing is so important, of giving back to God, and it's a biblical precedent for it. Now here's what this all boils down to. Tithing is not about your money. It's about your heart. Tithing isn't about your money. It's about your heart. When it all boils down to is you saying, I'm either going to live in such a way that I'm willing to say to God, you have control of my heart. You sit on the throne of my heart. So whatever you say for me to do with my income, with my wealth, I'm willing to do that. When we don't give to God the way that he asks us to, or the way that he prescribes for us to, we're basically saying my heart isn't in love with you. It's not in connection with you. I'm not willing to do what you've asked me to do in that way. Uh, so as an illustration, this summer, my family and I visited the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas. 
And uh, I love that area of the world. We, we love to go down there. Heather's sister and brother-in-law and their family, their three little girls live in San Antonio. He's stationed in the Air Force uh, there. And, and so we went down to visit them this summer. And if you're in San Antonio, you have to go to the Alamo. And so we took the boys to the Alamo. And one of the heroes of the Alamo story is Sam Houston, who although he didn't fight at the Alamo, everyone that fought there was killed. Uh, but he had gone back to, to bring up the Texas Army to go after Santa Ana. And he was one of the guys that started that famous quote, remember the Alamo, right? We're going to go, guys, and we're going to get Santa Ana. Remember the Alamo. And he led the charge after Santa Ana and overtook their army. And it was like, it was only like an 18-minute battle, if I remember correctly. It wasn't anything huge. They just came in, wiped them out, and that was it. They surprised them, and, and that was the end. Right? But later in his life, Sam Houston became a follower of Christ, a lot of people don't know that. He became a believer. And, and when Sam Houston became a believer, was baptized, one of the first things that he started doing was he started paying for half of the minister's salary in, in the area where he lived. And somebody asked him one time, Sam, why, why do you do that? And he said, because when I got saved, my wallet got baptized too. <laughs> See, here's the deal. It's not about our money. It's about our heart. Sam Houston always had the money to take care of other people like that. But his heart had changed. And when we let our hearts be changed by God, he starts to stir us toward himself in obedience to him. The way we treat our money is a reflection of the work that the Holy Spirit of God is doing in our heart. And so many times we just want to hold on so tight because it's a safety blanket for us. It's a security for us. It's something tangible that we can hold on to. And the whole time God's just going, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because if you trust me, I'll take care of you. So how we handle our money that God blesses us with, no matter how great or small, is a sign of the change that the Holy Spirit makes in us. When it comes to how we steward the financial resources God gives us, He wants to know if our hearts are in the right place. That's what He's looking for. Is your heart in the right place? What are you doing? Do you trust God to take care of you? If you trust God to take care of you, you tend to live with open hands. And to say, okay, God, you've blessed me with some resources. You've blessed me with financial ability. And so I want to just live with open hands. And whatever you tell me to give those things to, however you tell me to, to steward that money, I'll do. Because I trust you. But if you don't trust God, if your heart's not been moved that way, you live with clenched fists. God has to pry it out of your hands. Right? And he wants us to just liberally, generously bless others. And give to others. And so we need to learn how to live with open hands. God developed the tithe to encourage us to give. But he doesn't want us to give out of the sense of obligation. Here's the next thing on your outline. God wants us to learn to give as an act of worship. As an act of worship. Now you may notice in our worship services we don't pass an offering plate around. And it's not a part of worship, but there is a worshipful element to giving, whether you give uh, in our giving boxes here at the church, or if you give online, or if you give through our app, whatever the means is that you give, I hope that there's still an element of worship to that, that you take time to thank God for what he's blessed you with, and when that money is given back, that you give him glory and honor for that thing. To really understand this, go back to, uh, to Proverbs chapter 3 again and look at verse 9. This is the verse we looked at at the beginning of the message. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
And so that's an Old Testament passage, but let's jump ahead to the New Testament and pay attention to this age we live in. To this point, we've been talking about the legal requirement of the tithe, and that was for the nation of Israel, that God gave them a command within their nation to say, there's a tenth part of your first fruits twice, then there's once every three years that you give a tenth part of your first fruits, and it's for the purpose of taking care of the Levites and the poor and the fatherless and the widows and those kinds of things. Uh, and so when we get to this question then in the New Testament, we go, okay, well then, we don't live in an age of the law, we live in an age of grace. Are we still required to give a tithe? Is that still a part of what we're asked to do by God? Uh, and so as an act of worship, in response to God's grace, Randy Alcorn says this. He says, every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. However, none falls short of it. Whether or not the tithe is still the minimal measure of those first fruits, I ask myself, does God expect his new covenant children to give less or to give more? Jesus raised the spiritual bar. He never lowered it. Right? And so that leads us kind of to our last point today. Because giving to God is under the authority of Jesus, we should give generously. We give as a standard because there's a biblical precedence for it. We give as an act of worship, but we also give generously. And so when we get to this New Testament age and era that we live in and we go, okay, well then the, the law is out the door. I don't have to tithe anymore. That's not part of what's commanded of me. But when you look at the New Testament example, and I love how Randy Alcorn said that, is that every single example of giving in the New Testament doesn't just meet the minimal requirement of the 10%. It goes above and beyond it. And so he says, basically, when we think about this, it's not a question of, do I have to? It's a question of, what can I give? What has God blessed me with that I can give? How can I be used in God's service? How can I be a blessing to God's kingdom and to other people individually? What is it that I can do to have not clenched fence but uh, open hands? And so when we think about this in the, the grace aspect of it, it's the same kind of thing as we think about sin. None of us, because we live in this era of grace, say, well, because grace is available to me, then I can just sin and sin and sin all I want to, and then I just go to God and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, great, thanks, and I'll just go back to sinning again. None of us would do that, I hope. Instead, we live in this age where we go, because of what I've seen in grace, because of how good God has been to me, because of how he's blessed me, because he's poured out his love on me, because Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sins. I don't want to sin more because there's grace that covers it. I want to sin less in order to honor him more. I want to exalt my honoring of him in how I live so that I'm not just meeting a minimal requirement of sliding by as close as I can to sin. How many of us have had moments in our life where we've gone, what's the line where it's almost sin, I'm right on the line, but I'm not quite going over. We should be saying, man, I want to stay as far away from that line as possible because God's grace has been so good to me. I want to honor him in the way that I live my life. And giving of our resources is no different. That we don't necessarily look at it and go, what's the bare minimum I can give to God? That's the heart of Cain, right? I'm going to give out of obligation and moral responsibility and duty. And God's going, I've provided this grace-filled life for you. And I'm asking you to come and give with your heart in the right place. And so we need to learn how to do that. When we respond to laws, we tend to do the very minimum to comply. But when we respond to grace, we show our gratitude for God's love poured out by giving above and beyond. How many of you remember ever helping a kid learn to ride a bicycle? Anybody ever had that privilege? Only five of you? Come on, seriously. 
You've done this, right? I helped ride, learn to ride a bicycle before. I can remember with my oldest son, uh, he was learning to ride, and, and we were taking the training wheels off. And it's that moment of me holding the bike seat and him trying to pedal, and I'm trying to give him balance and stability, but he doesn't really trust me. He's trusted in the training wheels for the longest time, and now they're gone, and he's having to learn to trust me and trust himself. And I'm kind of holding on, but the whole time I'm holding on, he doesn't trust me. He's looking back to make sure my hand is there, right? And so what's the bicycle doing? It's doing this the whole time wherever he's looking. And I finally have to go, son, you're never going to get this if you keep looking back. Just learn to trust me. I'm holding on to you. You look ahead. You go forward. I'll make sure you stay steady and stay upright. And man, when he set his eyes ahead and he trusted me and I could go and I could let go and he didn't even know that I'd let him go. He's just pedaling and going around the circle and I'm like, well, there he goes. He's gone. He's off on his own now. Time to buy him a motorcycle, right? Like that's the next step. (laughs) He's ready. I think God does that. Same thing with us. The Old Testament standard of a tithe and the percentage of giving of 10% kind of acts like training wheels for us of going, this is what it looks like to give. This is what it looks like to trust God with your finances and to take off of the very top what he's blessed you with. I love that the passages continue to use the word first fruits. It means that you trust God with the very beginning of your finances. You don't wait till the end of the week and see what's left and then go, okay, well, I got six bucks left. I guess I'll tithe that to God. That's not a tithe. That's just giving. Tithe is 10%, remember? And so while it's not a legalistic standard that we're trying to come around to say, if you don't give 10%, you're not tithing, we're just saying trust God with the top percent of what you choose to give and what he asks you to give. And know that those are training wheels for you but that he's got a better life out there ahead of you when he takes, uh, when you trust him to hold on and you start going, well, maybe I could give 12% or 15% or even 30% or whatever it is that you get to. Matt told me a story this week of a guy that he had read a story about that had learned to live off of only 10% and give away 90 And as he gave away 90 God continued to bless him with more and more and more. And you go, why? Why would he do that? Because God knew that that guy would take the resources he blessed him with and get it to the right places. He was just going to live off of 10. But the minimal standard for us is go, God doesn't even ask us to do that. He says, if you'll trust me with 10, I'll give you 90. (laughs) And so we have to learn to trust God. We have to learn to see that as the beginning point. Now to end our time together, I want us to get really practical for just a few minutes and answer some maybe natural questions that come about. And the the first question is this, is it necessary to tithe 10% of my income? And again, I I don't want to be legalistic about that idea and and around that number because we need to remember for Israel in the Old Testament, it wasn't 10%. It was three different 10% over three years. It was actually more like 23.33%. So we look at that and go, okay, well, that was, we're, we're doing less than even the minimal that Israel had, right? So I don't want to get legalistic around that number, but I do want us to think about the idea that that for us, it's not about stringently giving 10% out of obligation. I think it's more important to think about it as giving joyously and generously and in an act of worship. To say, this is what I want to do to thank God and to bless others because God's been so good to me. And so we take it at that approach. What's necessary is to be obedient to God and to do what he asks you to do. Don't say, well, we're not under the the title of the law anymore, the tithe law of the Old Testament, as a way to justify giving less or not giving at all. To say that is to dismiss the grace of God in your life. So the question we should ask is not, what's the minimum I should give to God? The question is, how much can I give to God? What can I do 
what could I do if I stepped out in faith to trust God with my resources? Not even my resources, the resources he's blessed me with because I'm just a steward of everything he's given to me. Here's the second question. Uh, actually, before we go to the second question, let me give you some, some stats I found really interesting this week. Um, I read some fascinating things throughout my study this week. Uh, did you know that globally, only 10 to 25% of church members tithe? Somewhere between 10 and 25% of church members tithe. In the United States, which is the wealthiest, most generous nation on earth, we're having the hurricanes out on the East Coast. You're about to see the generosity of our country through the Red Cross and giving and churches and all those kinds of things. Millions of dollars will be dedicated to those, those disaster uh, relief efforts, right? We're a generous nation. But in the United States, the wealthiest, most generous nation on earth, uh, research studies show that only 5% of people tithe. Only 5 across our country, in every denominational branch. That's not just Baptist, Methodist, whatever. That's of all church people, only 5% tithe. Uh, here was a fascinating one. During the Great Depression, which was a time where you would go, yeah, it makes sense for people not to give 10% of their money. It was a depression. You were basically scratching by a living. In the Great Depression, people gave 3.3% of their income to the church. Recent surveys show that we now give in the United States 2.5%. Less is given per capita now than was given during the Great Depression. Interesting, right? What does it say about our hearts? What does it say about where we are in relation to God and what he's blessed us with and what he's asked us to do in response? Um, now, I will say this. I'm grateful at our church because our average giving is way above that. Way above that. Uh, in fact, I, I hope Mark can share with us just a little bit in a few minutes about some of those things that we've looked at as elders uh, in the last few, few months. Uh, but here's the second question. Uh, a lot of people will say, well, I'm struggling to live off of 100% of my income, and I even have debt, which means I'm actually living off of more than 100% of my income. So how can I start to live off of less? And here's what I would just challenge you to do. Start by praying and just asking God, God, what would you have me to do? And then commit a period of time. Maybe it's three months, maybe it's six months, maybe it's a year. And just try it out. Try being generous out. Try giving out. And just see what God does. If right now you're saying, I can't possibly live off of less than 100% of my income. This is what I'm living like. And God's going, well, if you'll just open your hands and give away, not only do you give, but when your hands are open, there's more there to receive. There's room there for you to receive. And so God wants to take us on a journey where we'll say, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to open my hands to you to be generous and to trust you with the possessions that you've given to me and to tithe off of those things or to give off of those things or to be generous off of those things. And as a result, I'm just going to see what you'll do. Remember what God said to his people. Bring the tithes so you'll learn to revere me because I'm going to take care of you. You can trust me. And so that's where I would say start. And as you trust God and step out in faith, watch to see how he takes care of you, but also steward the other resources that he gives you with wisdom. Uh, I can tell you that as Heather and I have been faithful to give, there's never been a time in our life where as we've trusted God, he hasn't taken care of us. There's been a lot of times we've wondered how, but there's never been a time that he didn't come through. And we began at the very beginning of our marriage. We'd individually tithed before we got married. But when we got married, we said, this is just going to be what we do. We're going to give. We're going to give a tithe. And then we're going to also give generously above and beyond some things. 
And we're just going to trust God to take care of us. And God has been so faithful to us. When he takes care of you for the period of time that you commit to him, if you say, God, I'm just going to test this out three months, six months, a year. I'm just going to see what happens if I test this out. Stay committed to it. Pray through it. And then watch what God does in response. Now, here's the last question. Some people might say, okay, well, if I give to the local church, maybe I'm always a little bit hesitant because when I give to things, I hear all reports about stuff. And if I give here, all the money doesn't go to that. Or if I give here, only a certain percentage goes to that. What happens when I give to the local church? If I start tithing money, if I start giving money to the local church, what happens? Uh, And so I'm going to ask Mark to come up and, and join me on stage because a lot of you are generous with your money even beyond the church, giving to organizations like Young Life, the Billy Graham Crusade, Focus on the Family, whatever it is. But when you give to the local church, your money is used to do a lot of different things. And so, uh, Mark, come on up, man. And there's a stool right over there, and I'm going to grab a stool here. And we're going to sit, and we're going to talk for just a second, kind of around this idea. Um, but when we give to things, there's a lot of stuff that money goes to support and to provide for within the life of our church. And so uh, this is Mark Treese. He's one of our elders. Most of you know him. Uh, maybe some of you don't. Sit on. You good? Let's see here, buddy. Yeah, now you're on. Um, so thanks for being here with us this morning. Yeah, no uh, Mark is, um, uh, has been on the elder board for about a year now uh, and has helped us walk through our budgeting process this year. Our budget year began in August, August 1st. And so he and Brian Henderson, especially within our elder team, uh, really put a lot of time and effort and energy into creating our budget, helping think through that, where does money go. And so I'll just ask Mark if he would to walk through some of the process so you know a little bit more about where our budget has been, where it is this year, and what happens with the money that people give to those things. Sure. And so I'd uh, just love to, to hear your thoughts on some of those. Yeah, no, thanks. I, th- I think it's good. Again, we're doing this series on stewardship, tithing. And so we, we definitely, as an elder team, wanted to be responsible to communicate with the body a little bit about what, you know, where, where's, where the tithes and offerings and gifts go and what are, what are we doing with that kind of thing and how are we trying uh, our best to steward that as the Lord would lead and to be responsible with that. Um, I, I wanted to read just one small passage of scripture as I, as I thought about preparing budgets, and I think this has application not only to um, you know some of the personal stuff as you wrestle as an individual with your tithes and offerings and how you budget. Uh, we as a church wrestle in a very similar way, but the passage that came to mind was when when Moses was getting ready to send the spies into the promised land, and most of you know the story. He always sends the twelve spies, and they go and they scout out the land. If you look at the, we often kind of focus on the end result of that when the spies came back and 10 saw the giants and were scared and, and Joshua and Caleb were faithful. But what really strikes me is the questions before he sends them in that Moses gives them. And, and I just want to read a, a little bit of this section here. It says, when Moses uh, sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up into the hill country, see what the land is like. And then he asked this broad list of questions. He said, you know, Ask them whether the people are strong or weak. Are they few or many? And what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or not? This long list of detailed questions about what they're supposed to scout out. Now, you may wonder where I'm going, what this has to do with budgets, but the truth is setting a budget is a little bit like this. We have to dig into the details of what are we doing with their money? Where is it going? What's the situation? And, and particularly as an elder team, what are the church needs? What do the children need? What do the youth need? What do the, the adults need? What do 
what some of our ministry oriented? What does the missions team need? And we had to wrestle with sort of what are the needs. And, uh, of course, now we also don't want to be scared by that, though. We don't want to, to look at that and then get overwhelmed and then fail to walk by faith, which is, of course, what 10 of the spies did. Uh, we want to be people that will see those needs and then walk into it by faith, even if it uh, causes us to stretch ourselves a little bit financially. So I asked uh, Nelson, we have a couple of slides we can toss onto the screen just to help people uh, visualize and understand this a, a little bit better. Um, this just shows sort of our, our financial overview for the past couple of years, um, 16, 17, up till this year. You'll see that the, the budget this year is, is for uh, uh, just under $625,000. And we'll talk a little bit more about what went into that. But I want to just highlight a couple of things on, on this slide. Obviously, you do see that our uh, budget and our giving has gone up significantly. As, as Joel has emphasized many, many times in this series, and, and as he does so regularly, uh, GFC, you are a very faithful and generous church. And it, it's really because of that generosity that we're able to, uh, to lead and minister and, and, and grow in, in so many different elements. Um, now, the faith element I was talking about a minute ago, so we, we regularly kind of, what are we going to set as the annual budget target for the year? And you'll see each year we've, we've set it a little bit over the current giving patterns. And again, I want to emphasize, we don't just deliberately do that. Oh, well, people are giving, so let's just raise the budget. That's not the approach that we take. Uh, and frankly, when I first joined the team, I was a little unnerved by this. I'm like, what do you mean we're going to set a budget more than people are giving? That doesn't make sense. But it's that faith element I was talking a minute ago. Um, again, we try to set the budget based on needs. We get input from every staff, all the elder teams, uh, the elders and all the ministry team leaders, and get uh, feedback around what is needed and how uh, what, what, what's needed to serve effectively. And then, as the Lord leads, we, we set the budget. Now, just a couple things that aren't here I want to highlight. We do keep around three months of operating budget in reserves, so we have close to $150,000 in our uh, reserves. And then, also, I want to highlight uh, generosity Sunday giving is not reflected in the, the giving numbers in the chart. We've done that a couple years now in a row, and in over a couple years, we raised probably over $40,000 that, again, you, the church, have given to ministries all over Kingsport, all over Tennessee, the rest of the nation, and even the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, just that's, that's, that's giving in and above um, what's considered part of our annual budget. So if we jump to the next slide real quick, uh, Nelson, um, this is sort of where it all goes. Um, obviously, you can imagine um, personnel and our staff is, is an important item. And again, as an elder team, we feel very, very strongly that we, we, uh, we, we support our staff well. In fact, Paul talks about that in Corinthians, about people who are proclaiming the gospel. It's in, uh, I believe, 1 Corinthians 9. You know, they can, it's okay to get their living from it. And um, so we firmly believe in that. And, and again, I know that they don't want to talk about that, but... But as, as an elder team, we, we very much do. It's very important to uh, compensate them well. They work hard. They work late at nights. They often away from their families. So, again, that's something, a core value that, that we have. We want to make sure they're well supported. Um, then you move below that, as you might expect, the next items are things like the building and some of the maintenance. As, as Joel talked a lot about last week, buying of the building uh, was a, a new responsibility. We did that quite well. We felt the Lord really opened the door. I mean, we purchased this building for 
less than $50 a square foot, which is almost unheard of in today's real estate environment um, for any kind of building. And that's not just falling apart. And uh, so again, um, the maintenance budget, we deliberately have increased significantly the past couple of years. Um, uh, again, when we took on building ownership, uh, we were probably only putting in 25 cents, 50 cents a, per square foot. Average church norms are close to two, you're supposed to kind of budget two to three dollars per square foot of your building if, if you really want to take care of it well. So we tried to be more intentional there. Hopefully you've seen some of the improvements that have made. I know the parking lot was done recently. There's things on our list. Uh, Dan Bensing's doing a nice job uh, leading uh, the, the maintenance uh, team effort. Some of you guys are a part of that effort. So we want to resource it well from a financial perspective. Um, yeah, other things, again, you know, a lot of administration stuff, you know, printing paper, uh, you know, that's kind of just under 10%. Education, investing into children's ministries, uh, youth, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the missions budget is currently around 7%. Maybe I want to emphasize something with that. Um, we're probably giving at a, we're giving about 3x more than we were giving two, two, uh, two years ago in our missions budget. We were, uh, you know, up until maybe three years ago, we were hovering around 2%, 3% of our operating budget. We're now up to 7 with the with the goal as a team to, to slowly work that up to close to 10%. So, again, and again, the Generosity Sunday uh, giving is on, on top of that. So, um, a lot of really cool things happening as we're starting to sponsor more missionaries. Uh, I know we, we had a lot of the, we had the, the trips to Nicaragua. Uh, well, Nicaragua and uh, El Salvador, and El Salvador uh, last year, as well as the youth trips to Kentucky. So a lot of that funding uh, goes to some of that, but it's also going to fund uh, missionary families that we just support on a regular basis. So, um, so again, we got to keep the lights on. That's the utilities. Everybody's got to pay a light bill, a water <laughs> bill. Um, usually that stuff gets more expensive, unfortunately. So again, I want to emphasize, too, that, you know, if at any point you're, you feel like you'd like to get more uh, an awareness, we don't try to keep this hidden uh, from folks. We do publish our annual budget. It's in, you can see it on, the I think, the uh, app and stuff. You can see uh, what our giving targets are and, and giving patterns are. But, um, you know, if, if at any point, you know, you say, I'd really like to look over that or I have some questions, uh, we, we, we believe that should be a transparent process. At the same time, we don't just go crazy and talk about it all the time, and we try to strike that balance. So, again, if, if there are things that, that you'd like to uh, uh, dig into more deeply or thoughts, don't hesitate to talk to Joel, Brian, myself, or any of the elders. Uh, we're happy to, uh, to, try to, to try to address that. Just like Joel is challenging you guys as individuals to be faithful uh, stewards of what God has given, we're, we're trying to do the same thing uh, as an elder team for the church. And so, um, anything else, Joel? Is that? No, uh, yeah, I think that's great. Um, you know, one of the things that I mentioned earlier was we talked a little bit about the the numbers, somewhat of giving patterns and those kinds of things for churches our size. And we talked as an elder team about how how generous this church is. Do you remember off the top of your head how some of those numbers work out for yeah, churches I mean, our size? Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of the churches will look at uh, the the giving per person per week is kind of the stat a lot of churches will look at in terms of a financial stat. And, you know, average, and you count all your kids, all, everybody that comes in the door, and we have really 250 people coming in the door every week when you count all the, the adults in here and then also kids in the back. Right. And so roughly 250, if you take our total giving, I mean, we're 
basically close to $40, $45 per person per week of gifts, which is really remarkable. And it's, it's probably double uh, uh, the national church norm. Um, so, again, just to further emphasize that, uh, that, that uh, again, uh, generosity seems to be a, um, a pattern of each of your lives, which is great. It, it's really awesome to see that. And hopefully, hopefully as we kind of go through this series, you're encouraged by that. Um, you know, get, giving can require a sacrifice on your part, but at the same time, hopefully, as you hear some of the stories from mission trips or you see some of the things that are happening that that there's a there's a joy there's a blessing in your heart that you're able to participate in some of that um yeah, so that's good uh I'm, thanks mark so much i'm going to ask kyle to come back up and as we kind of start to close one of the questions that we wrestled with as an elder team was man if our church is already being so generous maybe twice what the national average is for churches our size how when we move into a, a campaign to help pay off our building do we ask them to be even more generous <laughs> It's like, you know, how many times do you go to the golden duck, goose, or whatever it is? And I don't know what the illustration is. I shouldn't have said that. But, um, you know, you kind of just get around to the point where you go, man, our church is so generous. And yet I think that there's always so much more that when God lays on our heart to do and to give, that it's a matter of just challenging people. And so next week, when you come back, you're going to come back, right? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about how to be generous hilariously. And just over the top, generous. And so I hope you'll come back and just be with us to talk about that. Let's, uh, let's pray as we finish um, our time in worship together today. And then as you go out to be worshipers of God on your own this week. And let's just pray and ask God to show us what he wants us to do in response. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.